It is the most wonderful time of the year. No, it's not Christmas, but it's Christmas for college basketball fans. The NCAA tournament will get underway officially on Thursday. We refuse to recognize the first four as part of March Badness. Tennessee basketball, Rick Barnes' squad with a number four seed. This is the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer, joined this week by Mike Wilson and John Adams of the Knoxville News Sentinel. Mike, you've been covering this team all year through the highs, through the lows, more recently, the lows. Within the fan base doesn't seem to be a ton of optimism for a deep run, the potential for a deep run from Tennessee in the NCAA tournament. Any chance that that's wrong? Um, is, is there any chance that, that Tennessee reverses its, its, its recent fortunes and, and regains something more similar to its midseason form despite recent results? I mean, there's always a chance, right? That's, that's the beauty of March Madness is anything can happen. Um, I covered a South Carolina team in 2017 that was three and six in its final nine regular season games, then went to the final four. <laughs> I mean, but then again, that South Carolina team had Cenarius Thornwell scored 21 points a game. That's a, a lofty difference between that team and what Tennessee is. But there's always that opportunity. Uh, I mean, Santiago Vescovi could shoot this team to an Elite Eight with the way that he's played. But at the same time, the problems that have plagued this team since the start of February are still there. The defense hasn't been as good. It finally fell out of the top spot nationally in adjusted defensive efficiency. Nozakai Ziegler is obviously a massive problem. And this team has not shown the ability since the Texas game on January 28th that it can string together consistent performances that are required uh, to make a deep run in this tournament because you can't have one good game, one bad game because you're gone. And that's kind of that been this team's MO for about six weeks. Blake, I didn't, I didn't think Tennessee got a very favorable draw. I got, I thought it got a nice seating in a number four, but of all the number five teams I would want to play uh, Duke wouldn't be amongst them. Duke's a very hot team. And, and I know Mike Krzyzewski's no longer on the bench, but that you can't discount Duke's history. I mean, it's used to winning championships. And uh, even with a different coach, different roster, I, I still think it could be a force in the, in the NCAA tournament. And uh, its history is certainly much better than Tennessee's. And I think it could match up very well with Tennessee also. Yeah, Duke obviously comes into this thing riding a hot streak, won the ACC tournament, a talented team that's that's playing well seemingly at the right time. Of course, the challenge for Tennessee is even getting to Duke. They're in the 4-13 game against Louisiana, as they like to be called, Louisiana Lafayette, as many folks call them, the Raging Cajuns, as everybody knows them as. The Sun Belt champions are the 13 seed opposite Tennessee in the first round. I've written that uh, Louisiana will have the best big man in this game, transfer Jordan Brown, good player in the post. Raging Cajuns shoot it pretty well from the outside as well. Mike, I mean, how, I guess, on upset alert should Tennessee be before it even has the potential to face Duke in, in the second round? I mean, the reality of this Tennessee team is they can't take anyone lightly. Um, they've, they've shown that, again, with the, the five and seven record in the past 12 games, that you just don't know which Tennessee team is going to show up, and you can't be a coin flip right now this time of year. And Jordan Brown's a monster, averages 19 and nine approximately, 
um, very efficient on the inside. They are a good three-point shooting team, as you mentioned, but they don't take a lot of them at the same time. Uh, shoot about 38%, but I think only take 16, 17 a game. Uh, so not a, a big three-point shooting team necessarily. They've got a good guard and another good big uh, in Terrence Lewis, who shoots 65-ish percent from the field. So I think it's interesting because if there's one matchup Tennessee probably doesn't want in this tournament, it's a big that can score a lot. And they kind of got two of those uh, when you talk about what Louisiana brings to the table. And I, I also agree with John, though. When I was talking to someone the other day, I said the kind of the nightmare matchup in the second round to me is either Duke or NC State because uh, those are teams with talented bigs and a lot of athleticism. Um, I mean, that those are the teams that Tennessee struggled with this year uh, a lot of the time. Uh, the Kentucky roster, Auburn roster, length and, and athleticism and talent uh, are the teams that Tennessee has struggled with uh, for the most part. I mean, they've also won some of those games with Alabama. But, yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a stiff first-round test. And, I don't know, Duke's also got his hands full with Oral Roberts, I would say, as well. Well, as Mike pointed out, in this NCAA tournament – it's really hard to see the hot team coming. Uh, he, you know, he brought up the South Carolina team he covered. Who in the world said, well, <laughs> that's probably a Final Four team? <laughs> I, I mean, the, these teams, these real underdogs that surge into the Final Four, they just aren't on anybody's radar. And and I so where Duke is a fifth seed certainly looks capable of doing that. You just don't know how it will play out. I think it's interesting, the combination, if Louisiana has good post play and also has some guys that can score from the perimeter, three-point game, Mike says they don't shoot that many. But sometimes in, a, sometimes in the NCAA tournament, teams heat up, and, and, and teams that don't shoot as many in the regular season just start launching them in the, in the postseason. I think that that's one reason for optimism with Tennessee – if Tyreek Key, Jose Jordan James, if those guys get hot uh, from three-point range, if you get two guys that can shoot from three and they can continue that for multiple games, that's often what propels a team on an NCAA tournament run. It's interesting, you know, Zakai Ziegler obviously suffered the season-ending knee injury just a couple weeks ago. Even before that injury, to me, Tennessee was not positioned to be a team to make a ton of noise in the NCAA tournament when you, A, look at Rick Barnes's history in the tournament, and, and B, um, just didn't feel like a, a team that was really hitting its its peak, I didn't think. Um, however, I think that injury can provide a little bit of cover uh, if Tennessee is to make an early exit here, not that anyone would ever want a player to be injured. I'm not saying that. Um, however, if Tennessee goes down early, you know, you will hear some of the asterisks next to the, the exit of, well, they didn't have Zagai Ziegler. But in your guys' opinion, just how much different would the postseason prospects for a, for a deep run here look with or without Zagai Ziegler? I mean, how much of it comes down to his absence versus you know, was this team ever, ever built for being on a deep run? Well, when I, when I think about Ziegler, yeah, he's a prominent part of Tennessee. He's a, he's an emotional leader too. He's great. He's got all the intangibles. I think we're, and I don't know this, but you know, if t Tennessee, if it could have gotten a little better seating, but I think it got about as good a seating as it could. 
I don't know when Tennessee matches up against Duke. I think I would still favor Duke, even with Sakai Ziegler. Now, if we want want to look ahead and get really optimistic, what if uh, the seeding plays out and Tennessee ends up playing Purdue? I mean, I wouldn't rule out Tennessee's chances of upsetting Purdue. I just think a Purdue is one is vulnerable in the NCAA tournament, despite having a dominant post player, the dominant post player. I almost would like Tennessee's chances better of an upset there than I would against uh, than I would against Duke. I'm not sure that, that Purdue gets past Memphis or FAU. So that there's also that I, Purdue <laughs> when they get pressed, those freshman guards struggle a lot. But uh, on the Zakai note, the the one thing that we talk about a lot, you know, in March is is guard play winning. And I think where you wonder if Tennessee would be in a different spot is their offense was stagnant in the final six minutes against Auburn. Zakai's in that game is that outcome different? That's kind of where he you know has the ball in his hands, does a lot of things. I think you saw, and I wrote about it after the Missouri loss in the SEC tournament, their turnover issues. It was like six in the first five minutes. Those are things that you didn't see as much uh, with Zakai in the lineup. Then they had that same end of game thing. The end of game lulls were a thing, even with Zakai in the lineup, th- those long field goal droughts. But I think you can look at those two games and say, eh, maybe one of those plays out differently. You're a three seed at that point. Maybe you're in Greensboro. Uh, and I think that draw uh, with, I think it was Iowa State, Mississippi State. In the Midwest, there, I thought that was a little bit more favorable. Um, maybe you're you're in that spot, and that could be nice for them. But yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a hit. It's a hit to the hopes. Anytime a team loses, probably its second best player this late in the season, you're going to struggle with that. And the reality for Tennessee too is they don't have a backup point guard. That that is the thinnest position on this roster, and it always was all season. The big men aren't great, but at least you know the bodies you have to throw in there time and time again. There's no one behind Zakai. Uh, and Tyreek, he's been forced into that role. BJ Edwards is getting occasional run there. Santiago Vescovi can play it, but he's so much better off the ball that you kind of hate playing him there. Uh, but that's that's where Tennessee is. They didn't have success in recruiting a, a backup point guard out of the portal last year. Mike, do you think uh, do you think Ziegler's injury uh, impacted Tennessee's seeding? Do you think it could have been a, a three C with Sakai Ziegler? Is that far fetched? I don't know. You always hear that talk of, you know, we talked about obviously with Hendon Hooker uh, and Tennessee's college football playoff seeding back in the fall as well. Uh, and the way that that shook out, you always hear that talk of if an injury affects, but I think this team was going to land at a four anyway. Um, if the one loss record had stayed the same, I think Tennessee was still going to land as a four. They have three really good wins against three of the top six overall teams in this tournament. They don't have any horrible losses but they're 10 and 10 against quad one and quad two, and they're entering this tournament on a limp. Uh, I mean, when you're again, five and seven since the start of February, oh, and five in your most recent five road games, you're coming into this not well. So they were going to fall to me from the the three to the four because of the way they closed the season. For whatever it's worth, and I will say it's probably not worth much because historically my bracket does uh, about the same as the American public on average, I would say. But I've picked Tennessee to win its first-round game, lose in the second round to Duke. I I think that's probably the easiest choice, right? The the default right now would probably be to pick Tennessee to, to win one, lose one. But if I were to ask you guys, which I'm going to, which is more likely, 
Tennessee falls in the first round, is upset by the Raging Cajuns, or Tennessee wins at least two, meaning potentially beating Duke, and getting to Sweet 16, which is more likely? Tennessee gets bounced in round one, or Tennessee makes it to the Sweet 16? I just don't see Tennessee losing to Louisiana, uh, despite what some quote experts uh, saw that as a potential upset. I've seen Duke teams in the past play dreadfully in the tournament. So I I would say it's more likely that Tennessee would make the sweet 16 than lose in the first round. Yeah. I'll lean to that too. And fun little one there too. Reference that South Carolina team earlier. They beat Duke uh, in the second round to reach the East regional at Madison square garden uh, in 2017. And that's the same exact situation. Tennessee's in with that. Uh, I would lean that as well. I do think they're going to win this first game. Um, I think, Tennessee's ability to throw a lot of different bodies at, at Jordan Brown gives them an edge uh, in terms of things that he hasn't had to deal with while playing through the Sun Belt season. So I, I do think Tennessee's going to win that game. Uh, and I think they have a fighting chance against Duke. I do think that's a tough matchup. But again, I'm not convinced Duke gets past Oral Roberts because uh, Max, I'm not trying to say his last name, Abmas, is an elite scorer, elite shooter. I mean, he, he's a guy that I think is going to give them a lot of problems. So. That, that game is very interesting there as well. Yeah, Oral Roberts with a 30-4 and four record, and I know it, it's easy to say about this team, well, it's a mid-major. How many, how many teams were they playing like what they would see in the ACC, the conference Duke plays in? But I, I always like those, those teams in the tournament that have won that many games. I mean, I don't care what conference you are in. If you're a Division One program and you've got a 30 wins, I think that makes you a dangerous team in, in March. And so that is a good point. I mean, I think if you're if you are to lean toward, they're more likely to reach the Sweet 16. I think that it's fair to acknowledge that one of the things working in that that favor is we don't know for sure they're going to play Duke in the second round. Could be could be Oral Roberts. Um, Duke could could fall to a first round upset. Mike, we we've talked about this before, both in Knox News and John and I talked about it on our other podcast, SEC Football Unfiltered where we put football on hold this week to talk about March Madness because tis the season. But we briefly spoke about Rick Barnes and kind of the, the situation he's in right now. I mean, he, he wins at a high rate every year. Um, Tennessee regularly finishes near the top of, of the SEC standings, has finished at the top. And then we know the familiar story in March. He, he made it to Sweet 16 in, in 2019. Um and that's as far as, as he's gone with, with Tennessee. I guess, is, is there a familiar theme that you think explains some of the shortcomings of Rick Barnes' postseason runs in the, in the past? Because, I mean, it doesn't extend always to the SEC tournament. Now, this year was an exception. Tennessee did not fare particularly well in Nashville. But in past years, Tennessee's played well in the SEC tournament built seemingly confidence and then been an early exit in the NCAA tournament. Is there, is there anything that stands out to you as to why his teams maybe haven't gone on deeper runs uh, when it comes to the big dance? I mean, there's not a, a full common, common thread. You know, we talked about Zakai and the asterisk earlier. Tennessee has had bad injury luck. When you talk about March madness, uh, I think Kyle Alexander being healthy against Loyola, Tennessee probably wins that game. Um, I mean, it's obviously the darlings of that tournament that go to the Final Four, um, but that's a game I think Tennessee probably wins if Kyle Alexander plays. 
not having Olivia Kamwa last year against Michigan made an impact. I think Tennessee has a better shot to win that game just because that's probably their most athletic options about Hunter Dickinson. And you're talking injury luck again this year. That's a bummer uh, for Tennessee. Doesn't excuse it. Um, but in terms of Rick Barnes's Tennessee tenure, the reality is the regular season success is huge. Uh, I mean, it's not the caliber of consistency that Tennessee fans have seen for, for a long time. I mean, Bruce Pearl had that for a, a flash uh, and was Fantastic burnout as well with, with how that tenure ended, obviously. Um, but I think I wrote it today. It's four tournaments in five years as a top four seed. I think Tennessee had five top four seeds in program history prior. Now the success in the tournament with those seeds doesn't match where it should be. And that can't be ignored. Uh, I mean, Tennessee, the number five year was that team was going to lose in the first two games, no matter what happened. Uh, they obviously got handled by Oregon State but Tennessee was never going far in that tournament. They were more inconsistent than this team is. Uh, when you talk about their offense, especially there should be more wins in March than, than what Rick Barnes has had. Uh, and you, you can't really skirt that at this point, because when you have that many top seeds because of good regular seasons, at some point, the postseason success has to match up and going to this season, this was an obvious, you need to be in the second weekend with this team. When you enter the season ranked number 11, and start 18 and three, that team has to reach the second weekend. And I still think that's the benchmark where you say, if this team doesn't reach the second weekend, that's a disappointment, even without Zakai Ziegler. Um, because the reality is at this point, that's five tournaments, one sweet 16. And that sweet 16 team certainly had final four potential, but you've got to get back in that conversation again to me. I want, I wonder how much through the years, because this isn't just a Tennessee thing. Mm -hmm. This marked Rick Barnes's career at Texas in his last seven or eight years there. He didn't, he didn't do much in the NCAA tournament, which ultimately led to their parting ways. Uh, he's obviously been a really good coach. I wonder how much he self-evaluates and is he willing to change his approach? Anybody can lose a game in the NCAA tournament. I mean, the, Last second shots, buzzer beaters happen all the time. But for Rick Barnes's teams consistently to be the team that gets upset, there, there's got to be a, an underlying theme there. There's something amiss. And I wonder how much he's looked at it, and I wonder how much he's changed to change things, his approach. Maybe, maybe scaling back practices as the season goes along. Maybe not pushing his hard, his guys as hard uh later in the season and that may be foreign to him probably one of the reasons he's so successful is that he's a taskmaster i don't think he lets a lot slide with players or his team he points out what's wrong and and focuses on that and harps on it um but i i, I look at another coach when i when i think about this phenomenon i, I think about gene katie who had a great run at purdue for many years just a lot of regular season success, a lot of really good teams, but his teams just didn't perform nearly as well in the postseason as they did in the regular season. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I can't, I don't, I'm not at practice. I can't pinpoint what it is, but there's got to be more to it than just, uh, oh, well, it's happenstance. That's the way the NCAA tournament goes because it's happened too many times. To his teams. Yeah, I mean, it really is, you know, for a, a coach who's regarded, I, I think, with the esteem that, that Rick Barnes is, 
You know, it is it is surprising sometimes when you look down at that NCAA tournament record and see 25 and 26 overall record in the tournament. Now, I realize that all but one team suffer uh, one loss in the tournament. So the losses, you're going to take one every every year if you're not winning a national championship. Uh, however, you know, you can you can kind of pad that record by one or two deep runs in in the tournament where you're winning three or four or five games um, against that that one loss. And there just there hasn't been, you know, to your guys's points, there, there hasn't been enough deep runs in the tournament, particularly to match up with the seating. Mike, while we have you here, of course, you cover a number of things for the new Sentinel uh, football, ba- men's basketball, as well as baseball. And Tony Vitello's squad is off to a nice start yet again and opens up uh, conference play this weekend, correct? So I know while a lot of the attention is on the NCAA tournament, wanted to kind of pick your brain on Tony Vitello's crew and uh, just sort of what you what stands out about this team and, and uh, what the outlook might be for them as they kind of get underway this weekend in, in the SEC? Yeah, I'll be headed to, to balmy Orlando, Florida, while the baseballs get the privilege of going to sweet, <laughs> sweet Columbia, Missouri in the middle of March because nothing screams baseball weather like Columbia, Missouri. <laughs> Just delicious stuff there. Punishment for hitting the ball. Um, yeah, I think what we've seen so far from, from Vitello's group is kind of what we expected going into the year. I mean, the starting pitching is absolutely dominant uh, with the trio of Chase Dillander, Chase Burns, and, and Drew Beam. I mean, that that was always going to be the backbone and strength of this team. Um, offense is figuring it out a little bit. Um, I do think, you know, the unit's down from where it was last year, but, you know, they hit 157-ish home runs, 158. Program record was like 108 before that. So you're not going to see that type of production again. Um, getting Maui Ahuna into the mix is going to settle that in, but the bottom of that order right now just isn't as strong as it was a year ago. Uh, and that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. I think too, the development of the bullpen uh, is noteworthy. Uh, Tennessee had a really good bullpen a year ago. A lot of guys from that group were drafted. Uh, and right now they haven't had the consistency. Uh, they don't have a you know a go-to closer at this point. That's more of a bullpen by committee type situation. So yeah, I mean, there's defined strengths, defined areas of improvement, but um, I think this is a good opening test because Missouri's kind of overachieving right now. Um, and Tennessee launches pretty quick into some tough scheduling. I think it's AM second weekend. Then they're at LSU. Then they host Florida, who looks like the best team in the East right now. Uh, and LSU is, is obviously the best team in the West by all accounts thus far. So yeah, we'll, we'll see where Tennessee shakes out probably about a month here and probably have a better feel for that. But right now there's some areas to improve on. John, you had a recent update on Tony Vitello's beard. Um, one of the more important stories I've come across in uh, Knox News lately. And I got to say, John, before you wrote that column, uh, I, I'd seen photos of Tony this season, and I thought, why the hell did he shave his beard? Uh, I mean, he was one of the most eligible bachelors in Knoxville, really since his arrival. I mean, wasn't there a list that ranked him as like one of the sexiest baseball coaches out there? I got something in my e- email inbox toward the beginning of the season. Uh, there's a, a ranking of most attractive baseball coaches, and there was Tony V near the top. And then he, it, it, and the beard was gone this season. I thought, that's not a good look. Well, you you took a straw poll of several individuals, and they agreed, John. And But good news, the, the beard's on the way back, yes? Yeah, and, and, and Tony said the only person that likes him better without the beard is his mom. 
He's, she might uh, be a no. little uncomfortable seeing his name so high up on the uh, most attractive bachelors in, in Knoxville yeah. list, too. I, I'd like to know the story behind that poll. How did that come about? What's the source of that? You get all these things on the Internet, and there's really no context to them. You, you don't know where that came from or who devised that. I think we can agree that Tony Vitello is a, a pretty good-looking guy. I mean, my wife wants... And, and one of her nurse friends uh, uh, at the East Tennessee Children's Hospital, they want to go to a game this year and want to meet Tony Vitella. Okay, I write about the team. That would I, I'm, not, I'm not helping with that. They're on their own there. I'm not helping anybody get a ticket so they can. And besides, Melinda would freeze up if she had to talk to him. John, where do you think you'd rank in a pecking order of most attractive sports columnists? If we, do we have any straw polls of that? If we could go on the senior circuit and write me there, I don't mean to put fellow scribes down, but I hadn't seen a whole lot of good-looking older columnists <laughs> running around. I really think I'd have a shot at that, honestly. John, that's because you don't <laughs> see senior columnists at all anymore because no one lasts in this business. <laughs> what can you say about John Adams other than he endured time marches on <laughs> all right mike enjoy your trip to orlando john keep us updated on the regrowth of tony's beard and uh, i'll do whatever it is that i do you can find all of mike's coverage of the ncaa tournament uh, over at knoxnews.com john will have the commentary uh, you can also monitor the, the developments with the lady vols uh, who earned a number four seed in the tournament. Cora Hall will have all the coverage of that also over at knoxnews.com. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer Statement.